0: Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. Because, well, sex matters. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast, and this is episode 34. And it's titled, Healing Sexual Trauma with Special Guest Rahi Chun.
1: And if you don't know Rahi, you are in for a treat. I met Rahi a few years ago when we actually did our certification training together as a sexological body worker. And uh, I also had the pleasure of receiving a session from Rahi. Um, he's working with such integrity and is so has such a depth of knowledge when it comes to understanding body and trauma and how it all works. And so I'm so, so, so excited to be having him today as our guest. And um, I'm just going to read you a little quick bio about Rahi. Um, So Rahi is the founder of Somatic Sexual Wholeness, uh, which combines sexological bodywork, developmental psychology, and re-regulating the nervous system to repair any ruptures within the sex Developmental journey of clients from childhood through adolescence and into adulthood. Wow. All
0: right. Welcome, Rahi.
2: Well, thank you. It's so great to be here with you guys. This is awesome. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Mm-hmm. We are, we're really actually very excited to do this episode because I think that this is a topic that almost everybody can relate with. So, for instance, like, you know, we can look at the statistics and we can see that, you know, sexual trauma uh, is not an isolated issue. And some of the more recent worldwide figures show that one in three women have experienced psychological and or sexual violence by a partner or sexual violence by a non-partner. And I would take that a step further and say that in my own personal experience of pretty much all the women that I've ever dated in my life... I think maybe, Celine, you're the only one that doesn't have a sexual trauma story. Mm -hmm. And and I'm I'm not exaggerating that. I'm not joking about that at all. It is unbelievable how many people, and this isn't just women either. I know there's a lot of men that are out there listening to this podcast that have had some sort of traumatic experience, either as a child, adolescent, or even as an adult. So... I think that this topic really speaks to practically everybody. And that's why it's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would absolutely agree, Kevin. Um, the word trauma, it, it, it sounds like a dramatic word and you're right, it, it affects everyone. So beyond the actual um, literal sexual trauma that people experience. If you've ever had, there's a whole subcategory of trauma called developmental trauma, and then then there's another subcategory of that category of that called relational trauma. So developmental trauma is like. Um, they're not, there may not have been an incident like a rape or a or violent, um, um, penetration. But if you grew up in a home where there's a lack of safety, if there's a, a, a rageaholic or a, an alcoholic and you're not sure if it's feeling safe, it's going to affect your nervous system in a certain way that's going to show up in the bedroom. And then the subcategory of relational trauma is you know, you could have a safe home you're growing up in, but if your emotional needs are not being attuned to by your caretakers, there's going to be guarding patterns that's going to develop on an unconscious level within your musculature. And again, that's going to show up in the bedroom with your lover. So it really does affect almost everyone. And then coming back to specific sexual trauma, like in the intakes I do, I feel like the culture in America don't know what it's like in Switzerland, but in America, and this may be why Celine is you know one of one of the only uh, lovers you've had that doesn't have this. I, I swear, almost every intake, everyone's sexual um, awakening or education involves alcohol, involves black. Out and cake parties during college, or you know, peer pressure during high school. And so, the body is used to being penetrated before the person is even attuned to what the body needs out of social acceptance, and that sets up patterns into adulthood.
1: Mm. So, common. So, like, what happens to the body after a traumatic experience? Like, yeah, explain that more for us so we can all understand.
2: Sure. So there's a wide variety of things that can happen. But to give you some examples, like if there is a shock, what's called a shock or event trauma, like a rape or a violation, then the body's nervous system can go into a freeze state Mm -hmm. uh, or a fight or flight state. Now, the nervous system on a uh, reptilian brain level, on a survival level, has no idea or concept of time. So like uh, for example, if, if, I was, if I was penetrated against my will and to, um, to survive that situation, I just fixate, let's say, on the wallpaper that has birds on it, as a crazy example. Mm-hmm. And then 20 years later, I'm making love with my wife and I see wall, a wallpaper with birds on it. My, my body's going to remember that and think that it's happening now because in the reptilian brain, there's no linear time. There's only the experience. Mm-hmm. So th- these are the kinds of traumas that live and stay in the nervous system. And the classic is, you know, um, military who come back from war and they hear a car alarm go off. They think it's a bomb and they're still in war. Well, the body responds the same way with sexual trauma or sexual violations.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's really that's really right on. And so the question that then comes up for me is, you know, how does somebody know if they've got this unresolved trauma, like, because maybe it happened when they were a child and and it might, like you said, be 20 years later. So how would somebody necessarily know without obviously going into a triggered trauma response?
2: Sure. Sure. Well, a sure way to identify is if you're dissociating. So, you know, if all of a sudden you're checking out, right. Or you, you just kind of lose sense of your senses during sexual intimacy that's, that's a red flag or an indicator that there may be some unresolved, unintegrated experiences that's still living in the body that's waiting to be resolved. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're with your partner and you have a tendency to check out um, or to um, kind of leave your body, those are, those are some sure, sure ways. And then the other is if you feel like you're being triggered emotionally that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the situation, Mm. right? And like I had a client, for example, is really fascinating when she was, she's in her forties now, but when she was five years old, she had a medical procedure uh, because her, one of her urinary canals was, was obstructed. But all she remembers as a four or five year old are a group of old men poking cold and hot instruments into her vagina when she was four or five years old. Now she's 40, whenever her sexual arousal goes up to a three or a four on a scale of 10, she goes into rage, right? Mm -hmm. Because the rage of the five-year-old never had a chance to be expressed. So now she's with her boyfriend of two years and he's got PTSD because she's always raging, Mm -hmm. not knowing why. Mm -hmm. So if there are emotional triggers that don't seem to correlate with the situation, that's another sign. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. So I love this. Um, And it's a very common situation. I I hear that often from, I don't know why I'm reacting this way. This is this emotional thing. And then when you are in, in a relationship, the partner goes like, become traumatized because they're like i don't know if i touch you you're going to like totally go nuts so on me or like and i'm afraid and especially let's say if we we look at a man-woman relationship where she's having a trauma and he's the one like what i see is that often the men then will pull out and be like i'm really scared like i don't want to create anything on you and then it creates this weird dynamic of like not initiating sex and then she feels frustrated and stuff. Yep. And so could you like maybe give our listener a few pointers if if they are in a relationship like that like because I don't think that not initiating thing is really the the, the solution. Yep. So could you give them some pointers of what what could they do if that's a dynamic that they're experiencing?
2: Sure, that's really terrific. So first of all I want to say if you're in a couple and that triggering is happening, it's generally happening because because the the person who's been violated feels safe enough for that wound to come up. Mm. So that's actually, you know, like if it was just casual sex, the person would just, you know, the wound wouldn't come up because it has to feel safe to come up. So first of all, know that you're creating a safe container in your relationship for the wound to come up to be healed, first of all. And then the important thing is to really understand that it's not personal. It's not what's happening now, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can have a safe, if you can develop a safe word, like just a word for the person to say, I'm checked out, or just to indicate that you need a pause, and then to deepen that safety, just whether it's, it's um, snuggling or holding or inviting emotion to come through, when there is safety and there is a safe channel for the repressed emotion in the body to come through. That's what, that's how the healing happens. So I would say one uh, it's wonderful that the opportunity is coming out and it relies on that safety. And then two: create a safe word or a way of communicating. If, if, you know, a lot of times when people go into freeze, they, they lose capacity to really voice anything. Mm -hmm. So you can have not only a safe word, but a sign like, just point out I'm out. And then you can stop because you don't want to continue um, physical engagement when someone's in a frozen state. So you can stop and cuddle and just, you know, comfort the person, make sure they're being seen and feeling safe because chances are it's the five-year-old who's still feeling afraid or the 16-year-old who blacked out and doesn't know what happened. So you want to really be uh, sensitive to the younger version that needs you know, whatever emotional safety that, that, that they didn't have when they were violated.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can say, I, I've been in more than one relationship where I've personally experienced this with, mm-hmm. with a partner who would have this sort of reaction that seemed to not fit the situation. Mm-hmm. And in and, both of those cases that I, at least the two that I can think of off the top of my head, you know, I was never made aware that they had any sort of trauma in the past. And, and at least in one of them, I'm not even sure they were aware that they had any sort of trauma. And so for me, it was extremely confusing because I don't understand, In at least back then, I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know why they're having this really out-of-proportion uh, emotional reaction. And so I think maybe the, the, the thing that I would say from my own personal experience after listening to you, um, the way you describe it is I would say to men, if... if if that happens to you, the important thing is the awareness around it, understanding what's actually happening. Because I remember in those moments going, what the fuck is wrong with her? Mm-hmm. Like, why is she screaming at me? I haven't done anything, mm-hmm. you know, and not understanding what was happening and then not knowing how to react to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, it really catches people off guard because it catches their own person off guard. That response is a really, it's a reptilian brain nervous system response that's automatic and involuntary. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, and for, you know, the guy, it it can be a shocker, kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing. Like, who is this person? And, um, you know, the awareness, as you're saying, is really, really key because then you can really feel empowered and equipped to deal with the situation and understand that it has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that you mentioned that, the other kind of, you know, sign that there is some kind of unresolved trauma is, you know, if there is um, unusual pain or numbness, you know, um, for a man or a woman, uh, then chances are that is an integrated emotion that's that's waiting to be integrated.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm. That's a great point.
1: So I was curious to you about... Trauma that has been passed down through generations. Because I think that there's a lot of things, even studies that had been done with 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 animals with rats where they see like if if the the parents or grandparents experienced hardship, it's still in the memory of the offsprings, even several generations down the line. And and my theory is that if you haven't experienced a trauma, we still all have trauma that we carry, like the world we live in in is creates lots of traumatic experiences. Um, so I wondered if you could speak more about that particular <laughs> topic there.
2: Sure, sure. I mean it's it's fascinating because I think studies have been done with Um, uh, uh, descendants of Holocaust survivors
1: Mm -hmm. that
2: show the epigenetics of how trauma does get carried through our DNA. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating. So yeah, a lot of it, you know, I mean, we were saying how don't take it personally. Well, don't take it personally for yourself either, because it may have something to do with your genealogical lineage. Um, So that is one point. And then you know, I I, I um, trained in something called family constellations therapy, which is more kind of well known in um, in Germany and Austria. But it 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 takes as a as a proposal that every family has a certain energy field, energy container, and some and an issue that's not resolved in one generation gets picked up by a subsequent generation, so that it resolves it for the family. So there are many. Um, ways for unresolved traumas to get carried on. And so, yeah, when I do my intakes, I, I want to know, you know, usually the, um, the relational patterns of the parents of the client and if possible, the grandparents of the client as well, because those all have an influence. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and what I love about speaking about this point right now is you know, I made a statement early on that, that I would say that most people have had some sort of trauma, but I know that there are some people out there who are going, oh, not me. I've never had any sort of thing, so I'm perfectly fine, you know? And I think it's important to realize that, yeah, these things could potentially be from past generations even. Yeah, And I love yeah. that there's finally now science that proves that. They've done actually quite a few studies. They've done Holocaust survivors. They've done studies with... Um, uh, chimpanzees mm-hmm. they've done studies with rats so there's, mm-hmm. there's enough information to show that, that this really is the case
1: but yeah, what absolutely. what I love about that too is that then it gives us an opportunity like about not taking it personally but then we can use our sexual energy as a way to heal, not just ourselves, but like all the generations. Like like, the potential of what this can become is amazing. And that excites me. You know, I go like, yeah, "Yeah, like what? It has a purpose to it. And like, wow, making love not only heals myself, but heals my family and and, and my ancestors. (laughs) Yeah, the whole thing is.
2: And it heals it, my understanding is, you know, it heals it all, the the lineage before us and the lineage forward too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've heard different theories about nine generations back, nine generations forward, but sexual energy, you know, there are 12 chemicals and hormones that get released in the body with sexual arousal and pleasure that are healing, that are in their nature healing for the, the, the physical body and so it is a powerful gateway one because of those chemicals and hormones but two it's such an direct access into kind of our core essence kind of our core existence because it's the energy that created us mm-hmm. i
0: think the potential is
2: enormous
0: Absolutely. So uh, at some point, I definitely want to dive into some uh, steps that people can take. But before we get there, (laughs) I have one really interesting question that's slightly outside of what we're talking about, but yet still related. So this is a conversation that Selena and I have had uh, multiple times. And what we're wondering is, uh, whether or not you feel there's any sort of a link between early trauma, especially early childhood trauma or even potentially generational trauma, uh, and people's fetishes, their kink, maybe BDSM, any of the things that may be considered outside of the norm.
2: Okay. So um, I will give you – I will answer that question with a case study, with an example. Okay. So I have a client um, uh he is a sex and meth addict. He can only have sex with strangers. He cannot, if he's dated someone, he can't have sex with them. It's gotta be with a stranger and it has to be of a humiliating nature, right? And he has a certain fetish with leather boots, right? Now, during the intake, it turned out his father was very violent, used to kick him with leather boots. His father would wear leather boots and kick him. He also, his father had a leather bomber jacket that he would, um, put over his face and mask and self-pleasure to, Right. So now as an adult, he, his fetish is leather boots and being humiliated. So, you know, I haven't done, I'm not a scientist. I haven't done studies around this. However, uh, that's just one example. So many of my clients, I always ask them, you know, what their first memory of their sexual, um, awareness is. And so often that initial experience gets wired or paired, Mm. you know, right. Mm -hmm. So if it's, I have another client who, you know, was, she, she had a baby, she had a nanny who she loved like a mother, but this nanny would like, you know, hold her, her, hold, her body under the swimming pool, kind of do it, do like a, abusive things. And as an adult, she needs to fantasize about being submissive in order to orgasm. So these are two examples, but, but they're reflective of a lot of what I see. Mm-hmm. This wiring, you know, this associated, uh, again, those 12 chemicals and hormones are really powerful. So if that gets wired with something, um, it can, it can lead into our adult patterns. Um, however, they can get rewired just as easily.
1: Oh good, that was my question. I was like, but can we? All right. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's the magical thing about sexual arousal and pleasure. It can get rewired with anything. So we know, you know, like if someone's, um, if someone doesn't have a lot of breast sensation but their clitoris is really sensitive while their clitoris is being stimulated, you can just start fondling the nipple and the association will start to wire. You know, of nipple, nipple pleasure and stimulation. In the same way, you know, with with you know, if someone needed abuse to be uh, orgasmic, they can rewire that with sacredness and honoring and presence and other things. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: that's really good. Yeah, and, and and I love that you have case studies to really show that because you know, Cindy and I, we don't work directly with people with trauma. That's not necessarily what we do, but sometimes those things do come up, and so we we hear about it. We sort of talk about it, and we start. Form- formulating our own ideas of sort of how this stuff all connects. And so mm-hmm. I love hearing some of your experience to show that, that that is indeed the case. And of course, it's great to know that you can rewire it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's fascinating how those early, early, influences um, really do play a really, uh, you know, pivotal kind of, it's like an imprint. It's like a sexual imprint, but you know, that, that blueprint can be, can be uh, upgraded, let's say. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of that in the work that I do, because also we have all these different nerves. Um, And I feel like oftentimes people follow one pathway to orgasm or pleasure, and that's all they use. And I'm like, you create this groove, but there's Mm -hmm. like, forever nerves that you haven't used that are also uh, playing a a role in your ability to experience pleasure and orgasm. So it's like, sometimes it takes a little bit of like, let's see exploration, what would this look like? And I find that sometimes people tell me like, oh, but this doesn't feel the same. Like sometimes there's a resistance to letting go of the pattern because they're like, well, this is how I orgasm. This is what works for me. And I go like, yeah, but what if maybe you try something new and it might not be as mind-blowing at first, but then you start creating that over and over. And I do a lot of that linking that you're talking about there to Rahi in terms of like, where's the pleasure and linking, you know, replacing pain with that pleasure. Uh, and I see that over time through the repetition, you can really um, tell, like, teach your body to yeah. experience pleasure again.
2: Yeah, yeah. I see this a lot with women and their attachment to vibrators. Mm. You know, they get so used to this quick, you know, I mean, it's, it's more of a stress release than a pleasure. And then they get really fixated on that habit. And, you know, I've read different things about, you know, how it really uh, takes away from one's capacity to have a, a vaginal, a vaginal orgasm or, or a cervical orgasm. And, you know, once women or once clients you know, whether it's a male client understanding his prostate or a female client understanding her, her G-spot or, or cervical uh, pleasure, it's like, it's almost like you're discovering a whole new universe.
1: You know? it's, it's,
2: I, I imagine it like if a kid just like knew how to crawl and all of a sudden they start running, it's like finding a whole new world.
1: I love that you brought this up, Rahi, because I I joke about like the clitoris as being like a genital sneeze. Mm. And honestly, yes, sometimes it feels good and you want to have that little sneeze, but um, it's nothing compared to the other level of orgasm. And then when you stop focusing on the orgasm, but more on the quality of energy that can be generated and the ability to get into altered states, um, it like the lovemaking becomes so different. And we've talked about that in some of our uh, podcast episodes where we talked about the different levels of orgasms. And I think that to me, it's so much more um, appealing to go for a mind-blowing, like altering experience where I don't really care whether or not I had this like orgasm or or genital sneeze I really don't care what I love is how I feel afterward how it transforms my amount of energy and how I see the world and um, I think it's really important like we're not dismissing that clitoral orgasm or or going for that because hey an orgasm is an orgasm and I think it's a first step but that's the first step (laughs) that's really what we need to understand
2: yeah. Yeah. And, um, just what you're speaking to, you know, just speaking physiologically, the, the vagus nerve goes through the whole body mm-hmm. and it goes through the heart and into the brain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, compare that to a, a localized orgasm, which is just, you know, localized to your pelvis. And it's like night and day, <laughs> night and day when you when your heart and your brain are involved, when your whole system is involved, you're merging with the universe. I mean, you, it's a spiritual experience. And that's, yes. the difference. that's the difference.
0: Yes. And this is something we, we so try to teach to the people <laughs> that we work with that if you, if you take the time and you slow down sex and you extend it out and you reach those deeper levels, it literally is a, a communion with the divine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it changes your life. It can't not. I mean, like, like your whole realm of experience of what's possible changes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so since we are on the super positive vibe, and I'm sure some of our listeners are like, I want that. I want that buffet there. Um, like, tell us what are the first steps that people can take um, to reclaim their sexual wholeness and, you know, resolve their sexual trauma then?
2: Sure, sure. So there are a couple of, um, along the journey, there are, there are a couple of highlights, and I'll I'll point out the highlights. You know, the first thing is, is um, you know, it's really important to uh if anyone is feeling any kind of shame, about any aspect of their sexuality, you have to bring it into the light and just understand that it's a human experience. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, a lot of the intakes I do, you know, it's it's people who are violated as children by an uncle or a neighbor or, and I'm not trying to uh, normalize that at all, but it's not your fault that that happened. And any kind of shame stigma, that needs to be, uh, forgiven and resolved or else it's going to just, it's going to get in the way. Mm -hmm. So I have so much uh, empathy for people who have been violated, but to recognize, and kids think it's their fault, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not, it's not, um, you know, kids are just pure innocence. They're divine. So that's the first thing. And then I usually start with the nervous system, re-regulating the nervous system. So, you know, there's two different modalities I use, um, TRE and neuroaffective touch, To so the person can start feeling safe in their body um, because then there can be a self-intimacy that develops before an intimacy with the connection. And then... Like, I, I think you two guys are, are great at this naturally, but a lot of people, didn't. the next step for me is empowering people in using their voice to ask for what their body wants. Because a lot of people have that as a missing, it's just like not even on the, in their software, mm-hmm. you know? And again, like going back to how people learn about sexuality in high school and college, it's like throwing their body under the bus to be accepted by the frat or the sorority or whatever it is. And You know, I have clients who not only aren't practiced in voicing what they want, they actually don't know what their body wants. They haven't like tuned in. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a big step is really honoring what your body wants. Just keep asking until your body feels it. Just like get it. Because it's like night and day between the body feeling okay about something and the body really getting what it wants. Mm-hmm. And the more we practice that, the body will start to come alive and start to let it, let it, let the person know what, what the body wants. And then, you know, after that, I would say, as far as resolving trauma, it lives in the body and there are those unresolved emotions in the genitalia you know, in the intravaginal area, you know, the G, you know, usually the G spot for women and the prostate for men and to really with a lot of sensitivity and safety start to invite whatever unintegrated emotions may be held there.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Obviously, some of those things people can begin to work, in, work on on their own. Yes. Some of those things, it would be extremely helpful to have somebody help them with that process, somebody such as yourself. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be really valuable for the listeners to know how they could get a hold of you. Where do they find you? You know, how can they potentially work with you to help them resolve any trauma that they do have?
2: Sure. Um, so my website is somaticsexualwholeness.com uh somatic sexual wholeness and there's a contact page um and people can reach me through the contact page um i'm also on instagram rahi chun but the website is the best way to reach me awesome. and Yeah. And I love answering questions. And, you know, if people, because I know a lot of people, it takes a lot of time to even have the courage to address some of the trauma. Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, respect and honor people's um, courage and ready sets of readiness.
1: Wonderful. We'll have your uh, link to your website in the show notes, people. So it's going to be easy. It's an easy click to get there and find Rahi and all the amazingness that he offers into the world. And like I said at the beginning in the intro, I have received sessions from Rahi and definitely I can vouch for him uh, in terms of his integrity, his um ability to hold that safe space and going slowly, which I think is so important, especially for us women to feel safe, uh, that because it takes time to unwind and I never felt pressure to have to get somewhere or do something. And, uh, that's really, really important. I think it's part of the healing.
2: Yeah, I I think that's the key. And, you know, Kevin, when you shared that, you know, your girl that you, your girlfriends where their, their wounds came up, you know, it's a tribute to your sense of safety and presence. I mean, I think these are the keys for any practitioner with any sexual healing is their Mm -hmm. sense of presence and really putting the client's body in charge so that their body starts to feel the sovereignty and empowerment that was taken away. We want to reverse that process and, you know, really instill that sense of um, sovereignty and, and power back.
0: Absolutely. Well, Rahi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We covered some really great stuff. And I truly hope that that the things that we've talked about will inspire people and help people, help them get in touch with that and resolve anything that, that they may have lurking beneath the surface. So thank you so much for sharing all of that.
2: You're so welcome. It's a pleasure to see you guys. This is so awesome. Uh, So I I wish people could see you because it's visually such a a beautiful.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, everybody. Well, that's all the time we have on the Love Lab podcast, and we will see you next week.